0: Blog Talk Radio Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Faces of TBI podcast series, the number one podcast for brain injury and concussion resources. I am Amy Zelmer, founder of Faces of and your host. Today, I will be talking with Emin Garibian about the neuropsychological evaluation of TBI. This episode is brought to you by Integrated Brain Centers, located in Denver, Colorado. Drs. Shane Stedman and Perry Maynard are experts in functional neurology and treat complex concussion cases from around the country. With over 20 years combined experience, they are leaders in helping patients who are suffering from post-concussion symptoms, including dizziness, vertigo, headaches, and more. For your free consultation, you can find them online at integratedbraincenters.com. Hello, I'm am Amy Zalmer, and you're listening to Faces of TBI, a podcast series for survivors by survivors, raising awareness about traumatic brain injury, one podcast at a time. Those of you who might not know who I am, I am a TBI survivor from a fall on the ice in February 2014. I'm a frequent contributor to the Huffington Post, Thrive Global, and the Goodman Project, and I am author of Life with a Traumatic Brain Injury, Finding the Road Back to Normal, available on Amazon. Additionally, I am editor-in-chief of the Brain Health Magazine, and you can get your free digital subscription at thebrainhealthmagazine.com. You can learn more about me and the podcast series at facesoftbi.com, and you can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Amy Zelmer. Also, don't forget to join my private Facebook group, Amy's TBI Tribe, to connect with other survivors, caregivers, and loved ones. Today, my guest is Emin Garibian, and he is a licensed psychologist in California specializing in neuropsychological and forensic evaluations. He has 10 years of education and training in clinical psychology and neuropsychology and extensive experience evaluating adults and adolescents for psychological and and neuropsychological conditions. His training and experience have been in a variety of clinical settings, including private practice, patient mental health clinics, psychiatric hospitals, forensic hospitals, and correctional facilities he specializes in providing comprehensive neuropsychological evaluations for a variety of neurological conditions, including dementia, Alzheimer's, complications from stroke, traumatic brain injury, concussion, learning disabilities, and ADHD. Additionally, he also specializes in forensic, psychological, and neuropsychological evaluations for immigration hearings, civil and criminal competency, and personal injury. So, welcome to the podcast, Emin. I'm so excited to have you here today.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be on.
0: So, the neuropsychological exam is something that comes up quite often in our group. And I'll be fair, it doesn't always have a very positive spin on it. So I am very thrilled to have you here today talking about this um, and just kind of sharing what to expect when you go in for, for the exam and what you might expect to hear when you go in for your results as well. But I would love to start by having you share with us just how you came to work in this specialty and working with the TBI community.
1: Sure. So I've always had an interest in doing uh, neuropsychological testing and specifically psychological testing as well. So I started doing my training in those areas. And when you start doing neuropsych evaluations, you see, you know, there's te- that there tends to be a pattern with the type of cases that come up. And a lot of the times, uh, you see TBI cases, evaluations for dementia, learning disabilities. And then uh, I started doing more and more TBI evaluations, just because that's what was coming through the door at the time. So uh, as I started doing more of them, be, I became more and more interested. It just was a particular area that was very fascinating for me. Um, and I just started doing more and more of them, and then you know, a couple of years have gone by, about two years or so, and I get a lot more TBI cases, ranging from you know, adolescents to older adults. Um, a lot of it tends to be related to legal cases. Some are related to just people that have had mm-hmm. a TBI. They want to see how they're doing cognitively. So just naturally over time in my area, I started doing them, and I started getting requests, and it's kind of growing from there.
0: Yeah, so for me personally, um, I was about 15 months post-injury when I had my neuropsych, and I was just sent by my neurologist. Um, I had been going in every six months As she had asked me to um, And I was seeing zero Improvement I mean by 18 Mm. Months if anything I had Moved backwards a little bit and She just kept telling me you know give it More time and then After you know when we were 15 Months she was like well this might be the best you're going To get and so she Sent me in for a neuropsych exam And for Me it was about four-hour exam um, and I know that can vary you know based on someone's um, abilities um, but you know it was super interesting to do this exam and I, I'm going to let you talk about it more what it entails Yeah. Um, but I remember some of the the tasks I had to do um, there was one where there was like these little symbols and I had like on a, almost like a like a domino and well no more like a dice that had six sides to it and I had to match these to the picture that I saw and I could not do it I just couldn't even (laughs) comprehend how to do it and I remember I just started crying because it was like oh my god this is so simple why can't I do this um So, yeah, you know, it is, you're kind of confronted with the things that you can't do. And and that's kind of the point of the exam is to figure out, you know, where your deficits lie. Um, But I'm sure you experience people breaking down all the time (laughs) in their exams. Um, But why don't we kind of start with like, what is the neuropsych exam? And why might somebody
1: have to do one of these? Sure. So, like you said, a lot of people do kind of freak out about what a neuropsych exam is, but... I assure you guys it's not as bad as you think it is. So the whole goal of a neuropsych exam is to basically find out the areas of uh, cognitive and emotional functioning that are impaired. It could be as a result of the TBI or it could be due to the secondary consequences of TBI such as the stress or the fundamental life changes that have happened as a result of the TBI. So the whole goal is to basically find out what areas are not working the way that they should be working basically. so the way we accomplish that is by administering various neuropsychological tests. So when people commonly hear tests, they think of something they've done in school, and you, these are not the same types of tests that you've done in school. Uh, the, what, what, makes these unique, what makes these tests unique is that they are, first of all, standardized, meaning that they're administered the same exact way to everybody, and the whole reason behind that is to take out any uh, secondary factors that might impact the test results. So everyone gets the test the same exact way. The second aspect of these tests that are unique uh, to psychological testing in general is that um, pretty much they're, they're norm, uh, we call them normed. So a norm test is basically your results are compared to other people that are similar to you. So when we do neuropsych testing, we compare results based on demographic characteristics in some cases. So for example, uh, if you're a uh, female in your 50s and you're Caucasian, I want to compare your scores to other females in their 50s that are also Caucasian uh, with similar levels of education. So let's say you have a master's degree. You want to compare all those demographic variables. And the way the te- tests are designed is that basically when they're, test- they're creating these tests, they'll go out and they'll administer to thousands and thousands of people and they create a normative group. So then we have groups of people that have taken this test. So then, for example, if it's a test of memory, and you're a female in your 50s, and you have, uh, you're Caucasian, for example, and you have a master's degree, I'm going to compare you to a, that group that's similar to yours because we want to see how do you do compared to other people that are in your similar demographics. And then when we finish the testing, we're able to get an idea of kind of where you fall in relation to them. So when you take a test in school, you get like an A, B, or C on a grade on your, uh, on your test. This isn't how neuropsych testing works neuropsych testing we find out are you in the average range compared to the same normative population? are you below average? are you above average? are you impaired? Uh, are you severely impaired? Are you extremely well compared to them or extremely high compared to them? So we have different descriptors that we can use to describe where you are in relation to them um, and that, that, that allows us basically to decide you know are you impaired compared to other people your same age? Are you doing better than them or are you the same as them? And that kind of helps gauge the severity of impairment in those particular areas of functioning. Um, So that's pretty much the goal of neuropsych testing. The second most common question I get is, why does it take so long? The reason why it (laughs) takes so long is because, yeah. So the reason why it takes so long is uh, that it involves testing and interviews. So before any testing session, we do a very uh, thorough interview. where We go over background and history. There's a couple of reasons for this. One, we want to find out, are there any pre-existing conditions that could be impacting your cognitive performance? Um, for example, maybe you're reporting problems with, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not as fast as I read it. I'm, after the TBI, I'm not as fast when it comes to reading, for example. Maybe you had a prior learning disability in reading that is also now being exacerbated by the TBI. So by getting background in history, we're able to find out other factors that could be impacting current cognitive performance. Um, and also, it kind of allows us to put things into context. Uh, an additional benefit from doing the interview is that um, pretty much I get to kind of see how you respond to in a regular conversation, right? So, when we do the testing, it's very standardized, it's very kind of like cut and dry, it's, you know, following the manuals to a T. And when we do an interview, we're able to find, uh, I'm able to basically just have a regular conversation with you. So, what we do in that session with the interview and throughout the testing process in general is a mental status exam. So, I'm basically looking at how's your memory functioning when I'm just talking to you? How's your attention and concentration? How's your mood and your emotions? How's your ability to focus? And how's your insight into what happened? So, basically, it allows us to kind of get a, a better gauge of kind of how you are during an informal examination uh, with regards to just a regular conversation. Um, so, we start everything with the interview. After interview, which takes, it can vary, uh, depending on how complicated your background and history is. It can take anywhere from an hour to two hours. We then jump into the testing. So testing, the reason why it takes so long is because a common misconception is that, um, you know, I'm gonna go get a TBI test. There's no dedicated test for TBI when we're doing neuropsych testing. When we do neuropsych testing, we're looking at multiple areas of cognitive functioning, such as intelligence, academic abilities, problem solving, thinking and reasoning, learning and memory, attention and concentration, language, visual spatial, and motor and sensory skills. So as you can see, there's, there's a lot of areas that we need to go over, so there's different tests that measure those areas. And the reason why it takes so long is because there's just a lot of tests to give. And there's a lot of variation with how long it could take people. I've had people that are not as impaired go through the testing in three hours. I've had people that are more impaired have to take two days of testing. So there is no definitive time length. It varies a lot between person and person. Um, And, you know, it's really up to the neuropsychologist that's evaluating you to decide, is it appropriate for me to continue testing right now? Or is this person too fatigued and too tired where it could potentially be impacting the test results? Because the last thing that we want is you performing poorly on tests, not because of the TBI, but because you're just so over the testing and it's just too overwhelming. And quite frankly, they can be a little bit boring at times. Um, so we want to make sure we remove that, you know, we remove that potential confound out of the examination. So that way, when we get the results, they're more accurate, and we don't have a uh, an additional confound kind of complicating the test results and clouding them, where they could, you know, um, not be as accurate and as uh, applicable to your situation. Um, so that's basically the neuropsych exam, of, like the gist of how it kind of goes along. Um, after the exam, after you leave the office, is when we do a lot. Of, at when I do a lot of the work, is basically we have to go through and score everything, interpret everything, and then write the report up. Um, so the interview might take one to two hours. The testing might take uh, three to five hours, depending on what's going on. And then once you leave, I probably spend another six to eight hours um, scoring and interpreting and writing up the test report to explain basically what do these um, scores mean. And, you know, are these deficits due to TBI? Are these deficits to other factors impacting uh, cognitive performance, such as emotional factors? Um, so, you know, when you guys leave the office, there's a lot of work that happens in the background that people don't know about. Um, mm-hmm. But ultimately, the yeah, goal of all that not, is all basically to get that. Yeah.
0: It, well, and it's not just a standardized, te- standardized test where you fill in the little dots and it goes through a scanner, right? Like, it's like, what's the best word like interactive like you have to draw things and you have to like like I said you had to like put these shapes together to match you know this picture like it's it's not yeah. just like you read a question and then fill in the answer on a multiple choice thing so it, it's exactly. much more interactive yeah um
1: yeah so I, a, I do yeah, have question a question for yeah, you yeah, Emin. Exactly.
0: So when you administer the neuropsych exam, are you the one administering it one-on-one with the patient, or is it um, like, a, like a colleague or um,
1: somebody else? So it depends on the model that, that your neuropsychologist uses. Um, some offices use psych techs or um, testing associates. They're called different things in every state, or well, people that are pre-licensed that haven't fully uh, been allowed to work independently. So basically a a tech or an assistant can administer the test to you and then the neuropsychologist will go through and interpret and write the report. Um, And sometimes it's the neuropsych doing it, the whole thing. So I do everything Mm -hmm. myself. Um, And I do that for two reasons. One, I do legal evaluations. So I want to sit there and say I did all the work rather than rely on a student or uh, an unlicensed person to have done work And in case they make a mistake. It's just going to cause potential headaches in a legal situation. Uh, And the second reason is I, when we're administering these tests, we're learning a lot by how by watching you take the test. So, for example, um, like I said, the tests can vary a lot. If I'm giving somebody a, a, a learning and memory test where I'm reading them a word list and I'm asking them, hey, tell me what I just read to you, uh, not only am I looking for how many words you got correct, but I'm also looking at how do you approach that test. So let's say I read that word list to you, and then halfway through, the phone rings, which you shouldn't have your phone but let's say your phone rings in the middle of the testing session or you get distracted and you completely blank out that's an important behavioral observation that i need to note and, and take into consideration that maybe you did poorly on the memory test not because you have a memory problem but because your phone rang or there was an external noise that distracted you in that moment so you couldn't hear everything properly so there's a lot of um things that could happen in a session where behaviorally you're trying to observe this person And at least for me personally, I I prefer to uh, administer the test myself because I get to see those uh, small behavioral uh, uh, things that might happen in the session for me to be able to then use it for interpretation. Um, Granted, if you go to someone and they're using a psych tech, just understand the psych tech is also trained. They've also been supervised. There's nothing wrong with using a psych tech. Uh, So you're going to be in good hands. It's just personal preference for me to administer the test myself. But if you go to a practice where there's a student administering it, know that that student is being uh, was trained on all those tests and is also noting your behavioral observations. So there's nothing wrong if you go to a practice and they're using a psych tech or a student to administer the test to you.
0: Yeah, you know, that's really interesting because I, I did have a tech administering mine. And pretty much everybody I've ever met, they said that their neuropsychologist was the one administering it. So I was always kind of like, huh, interesting. <laughs> um because I'd say the vast majority of people I meet, um, their neuropsychologist actually administered it, and 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 that wasn't my case. So I always thought that was really yep. interesting. Um, I did the the pre-interview with the neuropsychologist, but then the actual test part was with um, the tech. Um, so let's talk a little bit about after the test and when you come back. I for me it was a couple weeks later. I went back to get my results. And, you know, I know if you're a regular listener, you've heard my story before. Um, but so in my pre-interview, you know, she had asked, like, what, what am I most challenged with? What am I struggling with? And for me, it was my short-term memory. My short-term memory was, like, non-existent. Like, I couldn't remember, you know, three minutes later what I was about to do um, unless I wrote it down. And also just, like... I couldn't, I couldn't keep focus. Like if somebody was talking to me, I would lose mm-hmm. focus like uh, two sentences into the conversation. Um, and it was super frustrating for me. And that was not my normal, right? Like, uh, like I, um, I was a photographer. I ran my own studio. I ran my own business for 20 years. So like multitasking was, you know, my game. And so like this was all so new to me, and it was very, very challenging. And like I said, I was 15 months in and hadn't seen any improvement yet. Um, so when I went back in for my results, first she explained to me how like you you can't really fake the test. There's built in fail safe, so you can't really fake anything. However, I think you didn't try hard enough with the memory stuff. And I just looked at her and was like, Excuse me? (laughs) And she told me that I scored worse than a dementia patient on my short term memory. And I was like, Yeah, that sounds about right. Like, I mean, my memory was like gone. And I remember trying so hard to remember those lists of words. Right. And then like later you'd have to recall, like which words were furniture, which words were fruits or, you know, and I remember trying so, so hard and it was so challenging. And for her to say that I didn't try hard enough, I was like, are you kidding me? Um, And then the spatial reasoning uh, was also off the charts bad for me, which, you know, going back to that exercise, I said, I, I just cried through the whole thing. Um, so at the end, she basically looked at me and said, I was just depressed. It wasn't TBI related and she wanted to give me Ritalin antidepressants and sleeping pills. Mm -hmm. And I remember just looking at her and I'm like, no, how is that going to help a brain injury? And she's like, Oh, you don't really have a brain injury. I, I was just like so astounded and it left such an incredibly bad taste in my mouth for neuropsych. And yeah. that's why I'm I'm so happy to have someone like you on here sharing. Um, Cause she yeah. supposedly was like the TBI expert here in Minneapolis. Um, so yeah, like let's break that down. Like what, what happened there with my exam?
1: So it's, so when it comes to doing TBI evaluations, um, you know, there's different grades of TBI that you could have potentially have had. So I, I'm not I'm sure about all the details of yours, but I'll go over in general, like, what the goal of the feedback is and kind of um, how it should look like. So the, the whole goal of the, uh, of the feedback is to basically go over the test results and kind of explain it to you in just plain English. Hey, this is what's going on. So the thing about these tests, like I said earlier, it's not a TBI test. You know? These are measuring general cognitive areas yeah. of function, which are impacted by a variety of conditions. People are often really, uh, they don't understand that depression, for example, and anxiety can significantly impact test results. Um, so part of the TBI evaluation is not only looking at the test results, but do they make sense in the context of the type of TBI that somebody had? So, for example, if you have a minor TBI, okay, where you are not really unconscious for very long, there's very little post-traumatic amnesia, but there's no positive uh, and, uh, results on imaging like a C, uh, like a CT or an MRI, we expect a certain profile to appear, right? So, if we, for example, during the testing process, uh, let's say you had a minor TBI where you bumped your head into, let's say, a wall, and you had some, you're a little bit dazed, you're a little bit confused, but you're otherwise you're fine, nothing long term in terms of everyday deficits. And then we administer these neuropsych tests, for example, for memory, and it comes up appearing like you have the memory of a dementia patient. That's when we start questioning people's effort. So the unfortunate part of the feedback session is sometimes that's how people, hey, based on these psych test results, you weren't trying hard enough. So what does that mean? Like you said earlier, uh, these tests have fail-safe measures or effort measures built in where we kind of gauge, how did you, did you even try? Because it's very easy for someone, especially in like, for example, when I do legal evaluations to come in and just do poorly on everything, right, especially if there's money on the line for their case. So an, an unfortunate event that happens is sometimes people try to exaggerate their symptoms. Um, so these tests have these built-in mechanisms where we're able to gauge effort to see is somebody actually even putting in maximum effort? Um, so we look at the test results, we look at the type of TBI that you had, and then we were able to kind of extrapolate uh, based on that information or infer based on that information, you know, did this person try? In some cases, People intentionally don't try their hardest because they're trying to get money in a personal injury or workers' compensation case. In some cases, people are not trying their hardest because they're overwhelmed. So the biggest question is, okay, why is this person overwhelmed? Um, In some cases, they've they've been dealing with this TBI for years, months. Um, They're really stressed. They're very scared. They're anxious and worried about what might happen to them long term. You know, there's a lot of uncertainty for them. So maybe they got overwhelmed not because they intentionally are trying to perform poorly, but maybe got, they got overwhelmed because the psych factors associated with the TBI are just too much for them. So the feedback session is basically an opportunity to explain what are these results what are these results and what do they mean in your unique case. Are these deficits due to the TBI? Are they due to only psych factors? Or are they a combination of TBI and psych factors? So it's basically to explain all the test results and to put into context and, you know, sometimes you people, I've seen this happen multiple times where they come in expecting, like, okay, I did poorly on these tests. It's because of traumatic brain injury that I had. And then when they come in for the feedback, I have to tell them the harder news of, like, you know what, you're, you're having these problems, but it's not all due to the TBI. It's also because you're extremely depressed because your father passed away six months ago and you've had difficulty coping with that. And that's impacting your memory functioning and your attention and your concentration. Or it's also because, you know, As a result of your TBI, you haven't been working, so you're now now in financial trouble, and that financial stress is just too overwhelming for you, and that's impacting your memory functioning. So, you know, it's up to us, the neuropsychologists, to give you that practical feedback to help guide treatment, because the treatment for someone that's 100%, that the deficits are 100% due to TBI is gonna be different than the treatment for someone where it's a TBI and psych related factors like depression. So, that's kind of how the feedback should work. I try to, at least my approach is to really explain stuff in plain English and to give like uh, very simple examples that the average person can understand, taking away all the jargon and all the complicated, you know, psychological terms. So that way you come in and you actually understand, you know, what do these results mean? What feedback can I gain from them? Or what uh, advice can I gain from them? And then how can I move forward from here? Um, In the case, like for example, in your case, when they're saying that uh, you weren't trying hard enough, My follow-up question, my follow-up response to that was to explain why I believe you're not trying hard enough. Maybe it's not that you aren't actually trying, but maybe you're overwhelmed, and why are you overwhelmed? And then we have a conversation about that to find out what was going on during the test and the causes you to get overwhelmed with this. Um, So that's how the feedback session should go. It's not something that you guys should be afraid of or be nervous about. It's really the opportunity to put everything together and to put it into context so that way you understand what's going on with me psych-wise and what's going on with me neuro, neuropsych-wise and then what can I do moving forward to get better basically. Um, in some cases it might be doing cog rehab. In some cases it might be doing cog rehab with uh, and seeing a therapist to cope with the psych factors and getting medication because your depression or your anxiety is very, into- it's very difficult to handle those symptoms. So it's a, collaborative, it's a collaborative process where not only I'm giving you feedback but also you're telling me your thoughts on what treatment might work for you um, I've had cases where people have come in and they're like, you know what, I don't want to take any psychiatric medications. I just want to go see a therapist to cope with the stress that I'm dealing with as a result of this. And that's sufficient for them. So it's a, it's a collaborative process. That's how it should look like. And you should walk away from the feedback, understanding your injury and understanding your situation a lot better than when you came in for the testing a couple of weeks earlier. So that's the whole goal of the feedback session. Yeah.
0: Super interesting. Um, Yeah, she, like I said, she just wanted to put me on antidepressants, Ritalin, and sleeping pills. And I looked at her and I was like, how is that going to help my TBI? Oh, you don't have a TBI, you're just depressed. And I'm like, okay, meanwhile, like, I can't really drive. I can't remember things. I can't, like, do my work. Um, It was incredibly frustrating. And I knew enough about antidepressants to know that, I mean, what are they designed to do? They alter your brain chemistry. So like I didn't want yeah. to take an antidepressant because I knew that that would continue messing with my brain chemistry that that I was trying to fix. Um, and she actually got really mad at me that I wouldn't, that, that I wouldn't take the prescriptions. And I said, no, no, thank you. And she also told yep. me I had TBI induced ADD, which, you know, I've later learned is not an actual thing. Um you know, your <laughs> cognitive processing skills are broken, right? Like, um, yeah. um, you have to fix, like, I wasn't offered any, she wanted me to see a psychologist, which I had already been doing for a, about a year at that point, maybe not quite, maybe like 10 months. Um, I had been seeing a, uh, chronic pain specialist. Um, okay. and I remember bringing my report to him and he read it and he was like, wait, who is this for? Is this your report? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, Oh my God, no. Like he, he was really upset by what she wrote in the report. Um, so unfortunately I had a poor experience, um, you know, um, but, you know, other people have gained wonderful insight into their injuries from their neuropsych exams. And so that's why I always appreciate having someone on who, you know, can break it down and help us understand what it is. And um, one more thing I want to touch on quickly as we're getting close to the end of our time here. Um, mm-hmm like why people might be sent for a neuropsych exam. Like we kind of touched on it, but um, in my case, it was just the, the neurologist wanted to see what type of rehab I should be having, which then I was never offered any. Um, it took me another year to find it on my own. Um, yeah. But also people are sent, like you said, for legal reasons, um, if, if they have a legal case. Um, so what are just quickly some of the reasons people could be sent for the neuropsych
1: exam? Okay. Uh, like you said, one is rehab, is to find out what areas are strong versus weak and if, what the level of impairment is, so then a rehab specialist can look at that and find out what kind of rehab program to design around that. Two, legal reasons in either criminal or civil cases. If there's a head injury involved, they can be referred for a neuropsych evaluation. Another third reason, which is pretty common, too, is neurologists will sometimes send somebody for a TBI evaluation where they are wondering, you know, you know, the scans look, everything looks good on the scans, MRI is clean, CT scheme is, is clean, but they're reporting all these problems and these difficulties. What's going on? They just, they're not sure what's going on, so they want the testing to find out uh, on actual functional tests of everyday, every, that measure kind of like everyday abilities, how are they performing? And in some cases, you know, believe it or not, people actually do exaggerate their, their injuries for secondary gain. So sometimes the neurologist is wondering, you know, is this person faking it? Uh, I want to know if, if their symptoms are legitimate because when the neurologist meets with you, they're just relying on self report. When we administer the psych testing, we're able to compare you to other people and see how you're falling into And we're also able to give the validity test to see if you're putting adequate effort. So, in some cases, they're trying to find out or rule out the possibility of this person exaggerating symptoms for secondary gain, um, which it does actually happen not not that often, but it does. I've had cases where people have tried to do that. Um, but those are usually the most common reasons. Um, Sometimes I've had situations where the person just wants a TBI evaluation themselves. The neurologist doesn't believe it's a TBI and the person has reached out on their own and they're like, I just want to know what's going on with me. Why is my memory so bad? How is it compared to other people? And then what do I need to do for it to get better? So there's a bunch of different reasons why someone could come for a TBI evaluation. Most of the time they're referred through their primary care or their neurologist.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I would also think um, falling into that legal realm would also be like work comp related.
1: Yeah, work comp, um, it could be an injury they had on uh, the job, or it could be in personal injury cases, it could have been a car accident. So you're driving down the road, you got re rented you had a TBI, and now you have an attorney that's representing you trying to uh, get uh, a compensation for either damages or compensation for treatment, uh, depending on the circumstances those are the common areas where cases come to me for evaluations and that should be across the board for most neuropsychologists. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here today, Emin. Um, Such an important topic for our listeners to understand and um know how to be prepared or I guess prepared isn't the right word but you know I think often people are not told I wasn't told it was like an all-day event (laughs) um yeah and I was there I think mine was approximately like four hours I I don't fully remember anymore but it was somewhere in that four-hour range and I know a lot of other people have said six and I've had numerous people tell me they had to go in two days in a row so just you know being prepared that it's not just you know, like a one or a two hour appointment, you're going to be there for a while and you're going to be absolutely exhausted afterwards. Um, It just, you know, it's very um, emotionally and cognitively draining. So uh, just going into it, knowing um, to be prepared. So thank you so much for being here today, Emin. Oh, go ahead. Mm -hmm.
1: I was going to say, if you're one advice I want to tell people is if you're in the appointment and you go meet with a neuropsychologist and you're getting absolutely overwhelmed and you're tired, let us know. We could always reschedule it and have you come back another day. Our goal is to get accurate results. So if you're just fatigued and you're tired, or let's say last the night before, you didn't sleep a full, you know, six to eight hours, um, you've been battling a cold, something along those lines, you know, it's important for us to know because then we could go ahead and, and reschedule or break the testing up into multiple days so that way our results are accurate. That's the most important thing for us as we want accurate results so that way we could give you the best feedback so that way we could help you with your treatment and rehab. Awesome.
0: Awesome. And I do have your website in the show notes. So if anyone wants to get in touch with you, um, they can look in the show notes for your website. Um, Are there any other ways uh, you would want people to know how to follow you or get in touch with you?
1: Uh, Just through my website. You know, I, I, people email me random questions all the time. I'm happy to answer them as best as I can. Uh, I have a bunch of blog articles in there that talk about the neuropsych exam and what it looks like and also what a typical, TBI profile on testing looks like so that way people get an idea of of like some of the neuroscience behind it Um, and if you want to get in touch with me I'm on LinkedIn Um, people message me all the time on there as well so LinkedIn or my website are the best ways to get a hold of me
0: Awesome, well thank you again for being here today and just sharing your time with our listeners
1: Thank you for having me this was great
0: And thank you, everyone, for listening. I really hope you got some great information today. And, again, you can go in the show notes and click the link to his website. And just another big thank you to Integrated Brain Centers for bringing this episode to you today. You can get your free consultation at integratedbraincenters.com. And just a reminder, you can find previous podcast episodes on most streaming platforms, such as iTunes or at basisoftbi.com. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Amy Zellmer. And also, please do join Amy's TBI Tribe on Facebook to connect with other survivors, caregivers, and loved ones. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you for being a part of my journey. Have a great day, everyone. And I will see you in the next episode.